0: That sound means we're live, right?
1: (laughs) That's what I think it means.
2: Well, Scotty's muted.
1: All right, this is not (laughs) going well so far, so I guess I'll jump in until Scotty joins us. Uh, Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Carolina Weather Group. I'm not Scotty Powell. Um, Ricky Matthews in the Tri-Cities area. Filling in for Scotty momentarily, we have a pretty cool show playing for you tonight. We're going to have Jason uh, Samal, who I probably just messed up his name, uh, joining us from the Cara, from the Capital Weather Gang up in the D.C. area. You probably have seen some of their blog posts from over the years and some of their uh, posts on Facebook and really some of their posts that kind of dive into a little bit of some getting behind the details of weather to responsible weather journalism and Uh, Snowstorms and all different types of things that happen not only in the DC area, but also all across the uh, United States really so Appropriate that we have Jason joining us tonight as we potentially start to deal with snow here in parts of the Carolinas Which we're going to do a special show here in about an hour So if you're joining us for this one stay tuned for that one coming up We'll have a new link in just a little bit, but since we have a few minutes We will give it to Uh, James, who has been gone for quite a while. It's uh, nice to see you again,
0: buddy. Uh, It's good to see you, too. Happy New Year. Yeah, I haven't been here since last year. Well, actually, about a month and a half, it it feels like. So it's good to be back on. Welcome into my uh, very messy new office here, where you can see we still have boxes full of overflowing stuff. So still in South Charlotte. I'm in the Rain Tree community now near the Arboretum. Uh, I would say roughly about six o'clock uh, on the 485 loop of Charlotte. Uh, so a slight move down the road from from Pineville, but it's good to be back on with you, and it's good to be living in a place that has running water, which is a whole nother story that could probably be its own podcast. But uh, it was a gorgeous day here in uh, South Charlotte, across uh, I think most of the metro area. I had the windows open this afternoon. Um, I, Ricky, I got mouthed a wow there. That's right. So I think we we kind of just crossed that. 60-degree uh, mark, if I'm not mistaken, and so with uh, a nice sweatshirt on, it was a good excuse to open the windows, clear out that air in the, uh, the townhouse here, get some fresh air in. We're at 51 at this hour, by the way, uh, a number that I think we'll all be wishing we still had by the time we get into this weekend, because it's going to be bone-chilling cold, whether it snows six feet, six inches, or six centimeters, it's going to be cold!
1: All right, so we got to go back for a second. Now, let me ask you, is it more important to have Wi-Fi or running water? Why is it an or? I mean, I think some people so, have a preference.
0: So I'm going to say running water because, okay. um, and if this isn't getting around the rules of this contest, I have an unlimited 4G Verizon cell phone plan with a hotspot. Um, uh, and I set, I set a new record with all the traveling I've been doing and everything I've been doing. Forty-five gigs and counting this month. Wow, that's a lot. Yes. So I'll take running water because I think I got the Wi-Fi
1: covered. (laughs) All righty. Uh, Let's go to Shay, who's down in Charleston to kind of see what's happening in his neck of the woods, and then if uh, we have our guest, who I think we do, is just joining us, we'll bring him in here in just one second.
2: Thanks, Ricky. Yeah, we've had uh, you know I'll tell you, Charleston were eighty-one degrees two days ago on Monday. Uh, you know record breaker from 1952 at 79 degrees we we broke it by two degrees then that very night our low temperatures or high lows were 63 to 64 which beat the the old uh, high low temperature of like 57 or 58 so you know we go from record-breaking warmth and in, in, you know a, a nice cruise downhill into this weekend with the possibility of some wintry weather making it close to the coast i'm not really I'm not entirely certain that we're going to see anything here. We may see a few flurries late in the afternoon to evening Saturday, but it looks like a lot of that moisture and that warm air, warmer air off the ocean is going to be kind of mixing in along the coastline. It just really depends on how close the low pressure comes. Uh, if the closer to the coastline it is, the more chance of rain and warm air, uh, whereas the further away, further removed from the coast, the chance that the Arctic air could push down to the coastline and actually give us a little chance. So. We'll get into that a little bit later, but for right now, the weather is fairly pleasant, fairly mild, low 60s. Uh, a few clouds, a few stratus decks overhead, some cirrus, uh, nothing that crazy. A little bit of a westerly zonal flow going through the air as far as winds go. Um, and pr- pretty much expecting the same thing tomorrow, maybe some moderate uh, low to mid-teens across the open areas of the Charleston Harbor. And that's about it for Charleston right now. Back to you, Ricky.
1: All righty. I mean, rare just in the instances you guys are even talking about even winter weather in uh your neck of the woods. We'll dive into that uh, around 9 o'clock or so. Now, getting to someone who probably sees a little more snow than most of us, although with Scotty and I, perhaps an exception uh, with the mountains coming into play. Jason, welcome to our uh, show. It's a
3: pleasure. Can you guys hear me okay?
1: We have you perfectly. And Great. Th- excellent. So tell us a little bit about the Capital Weather Gang, that the organization you're with. Just a little bit of background information for people who perhaps aren't familiar with it.
3: Yeah, sure. So, um, Capital Weather Gang is the Washington Post weather team and uh, we started off as an independent website um, Back in 2003 to 2004. Um, I started a, a site called capitalweather.com um, which uh, became a blog for DC area weather and uh, Originally, it was just me, but I added contributors over time and um, you know through the course of years uh, we grew our following and um got some media attention from some of the local publications up here in the D.C. area. We got other blogs to link to us, and Washington Post, around 2007, uh, noticed what we were doing, liked what we were doing, and asked us to become part of um, their organization, and so we moved our blog, CapitalWeather.com, over to WashingtonPost.com, and became the Capital Weather Gang, and we launched with them in January 2008, so uh, we've been part of the Post now almost nine years. Um, we initially started off, um, I, I worked for the Post on a contract basis um, for about three years. Um, I had another day job working for the government um, on climate change issues and we, um, in 2010 our contract was up and the Post decided to hire me full time, brought me into the newsroom as the Post weather editor and also the chief meteorologist for the Capital Weather Gang. So, um, Anyways, just a little bit more about us. So it's not just me; it's you know, it's a whole group of us. Um, I'm uh, I, I work with Angela Fritz, who's deputy weather editor. Angela came from Weather Underground and also worked for CNN for a period of time, and she, um, you know, so, so she and I work together very closely. We're the two full-time um, Washington Post employees who are part of the Weather Gang, and then we've got a team of contributors who are freelancers. They have other day jobs, or they're retired in some cases. Um, We've got like uh, Wes Junker, who's our winter weather expert, and we've got we've got about 10 or 15 freelance contributors. You know, I, as you all know, the weather doesn't turn off. We cover the weather, and not just uh, U.S. weather, I mean, not just D.C. weather. Obviously, that's our focus. We provide really in-depth D.C. weather coverage, but we also cover national weather stories, international weather stories, and weather-adjacent issues like climate change and space weather, astronomy, things like that, so it's a broad mix. Um, we put out a lot of content. Um, we do two forecast updates a day for the DC area, and then probably about five additional blog posts um, on an array of topics. As I said, from national weather to international weather to um, uh, other topics. So um, that's kind of that's kind of in a, in a nutshell. I mean, we put a real emphasis on engagement, on reader engagement. We're obviously we're on social media, Twitter and Facebook, um, Instagram, and our, our blog is very active. We get dozens of comments a day. Um, On our blog, we also um, put a real emphasis on communicating uncertainty because in the D.C. area, we're often near that range to the line. So, um, you know, obviously we like to, when we have complex events, to present different scenarios so people understand the range of different outcomes. And we've done that from the beginning. We've always sort of communicated our forecast confidence, tried to be transparent. When we bust a forecast, and we try to be accountable, explain um, what we got right, what we got wrong, and so forth. So that's kind of that's kind of your elevator story. Maybe a little bit longer than an elevator ride, but that's sort of a, a background about the Capital Weather Guy. We've got, you know, obviously a big audience here in the DC area. We've got a large Twitter following. I, I think we just crossed seven hundred thousand followers today, so which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. It's a pleasure to join you guys tonight.
1: And so, with you guys being an entity, of the Washington Post, how much on a day-to-day basis does your information? get, I guess, disseminated with others who work for the Washington Post? Do you guys have like a meeting where you're in each day and you kind of discuss some things that are going on weather-wise across the nation that they may be interested in?
3: Uh, sometimes when we have big weather events, we'll coordinate with the rest of the newsroom. And obviously um, it, you know, Washington Post has a, a large um, team of national reporters. And um, when they're big weather ev- events, we wanna make sure that people are positioned and in the right place to be on the ground to cover those, for example, um, you know, during Hurricane Matthew, we were in close coordination with the newsroom about um, where we were dispatching reporters in Florida up through the up through eastern North Carolina. So, um, yeah, we do coordinate with them. It's not every day. It's when they're big storms when we do a lot of our um, our, our coordination and interaction. Um, but, you know, we do work with a lot of different sections in the paper from graphics to social media to video. Um, you know, the post has a growing video department, so we do a lot of Facebook Lives when there are significant events, and we'll do sort of short, one-minute weather explainers when we have a uh, significant weather event coming in. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's we're we're producing content across platforms and working uh, throughout the newsroom.
1: And I think that's a remarkable thing about the Capital Weather Gang. I don't think a week or, or two weeks goes by that I don't see an article from you guys. It kind of spreads like wildfire throughout the. Uh, Weather community, you know, just because you guys get really in depth on some topics and comment on some engaging and sometimes controversial topics as well, you know, yep. to, to draw engagement uh, and to spark some conversation as well. Um, why do you think that's important? Why do you think that's some of the things that you guys want to write about?
3: Well, you know, part of our job is to entertain and, uh, and attract eyeballs. Now, so it's not a it's not about clickbait. It's about um, you know, sort of exploring topic contemporary topics which. Are resonating in the weather community that matter um, but that you know may um, draw a a range of opinions and so for example you know when 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 you have folks uh, putting out seven to ten day snowfall accumulation maps um, and that's sort of what everyone's talking about we'll write about it or you know after the Louisiana floods the fact that the uh, the media coverage was so um, week. You know, we, we explored, you know, well, why wasn't that event better covered? You know, what were the factors that led to the Louisiana flood basically being ignored when it was the worst flooding event the nation had seen since basically Katrina um, at the time? So, um, you know, any any sort of contemporary weather topics which we see sort of percolating on social media, which are generating a lot of different viewpoints, we try to provide a voice um, you know, sometimes people will agree with us. They don't have to. That's okay. What, but what we want to do is generate a discussion. We want to be fair, and if we present an opinion which um, isn't popular or there's an alternative point of view, um, we encourage folks to provide that, and we, we frequently will post uh, guest columns from other folks who aren't affiliated with us. So, um, you know, we, we, at the end of the day, we always try to be fair, and we always try to um, pick topics which we think are very really resonate with the community.
1: So you mentioned posting snow maps, you know, uh, quite a while ahead of time, seven to ten days out, which we run into, uh, oh, about every month down here, maybe every week or every day in the wintertime sure. in the southeast. Talk a little bit from your point of view, uh, and this can be totally your opinion, not the Capital Weather Gang, sure. but w- what's responsible weather posting in your mindset? Let's say we're expecting a snowstorm next Tuesday. What mm-hmm. should you be doing in each of the five days Uh, seven to seven days leading up to that system. Yeah,
3: sure. So the way we handle it is um, we will do long range outlooks. I mean, we do, we do outlooks up to two weeks in advance. Um, And, you know, what, what, what we try to do is we try to express it. You know, what are the snow chances compared to climatology? You know, is the pattern more favorable uh, for snow than normal or less favorable for snow than normal? And that's how we typically start off when we're about, two weeks out um in fact uh you know I, I think it was around this time last week when we started to talk about the fact that the pattern late this week would would be a good one for snow although not perfect so wes junker who's our winter weather expert he was looking at you know the um the upper flow when you know the teleconnections and, and so forth and um you know there's a pretty strong signal that you know we're going to have a you know cold air in place and that there would be, you know, a front, an Arctic front stalling somewhere around the Mid-Atlantic or the South and that um, it would be a favorable pattern for waves to develop and potentially uh, bring snow. And so uh, that's that's how we initially characterize the the, the threat or the risk, which I said that the pattern was somewhat better than normal for snow and that it was the best pattern we had had um, so far this winter season. And then, um, you know, I think once you're within about a week, you can start to talk a little bit about First, you talk about the patterns, the overall pattern, then you can start to talk about specific weather systems or, or waves. Now, you know, every pattern's different and some patterns are more predictable than others. And so um, I, I guess it was around last Friday we started to talk about, OK, there's you know th- there's some waves of low pressure which might form along this front. But... Um, you know, the models are having a difficult time figuring out, you know, which shortwave to key on. And so in terms of the timing of any snow or mixed precipitation, that was still up in the air. And so you, tr- you start to maybe at about a week out or so, depending on the pattern, you can start to lay out different scenarios. And so we developed up four different scenarios last Friday. So again, just to back up two weeks in advance, you can talk about the pattern, maybe a week in advance, well, 10 to 14 days, you can talk about the pattern generally. Then maybe seven to 10 days out, you can start to lay out some scenarios. Um, And then you can't really start to talk about specifics and narrowing down the scenarios until within about three to five days, and that's where we were at the beginning of the week, and then, you know, now that we're within about 48 hours of at least the first snow event that we're looking at here in the D.C. area Thursday night, we can start to talk about specifics today. We start to talk about accumulations and timing and things like that, and then tomorrow we'll really try to nail it down. So, um, I mean, that's that, that's that's ballpark. You know, as I said, every pattern is different. Some patterns have more spread in the ensembles and others. Some of uh, the, the ensemble members will be more tightly clustered, and so um, the, the um, short waves and the long waves will um, – will be in better will be in better agreement across model simulations and so you'll have a little bit better predictability so um, you know if we as we if we look back at the um, january 22 23 snowstorm last year in blizzard um, you know uh, 2016 or as we called it here in the dc area snowzilla um, that that event um, showed up very well on models and ensembles about 6 days in advance and i think you know, within five days or even four days, we were talking about a severe snowstorm possibly in the D.C. area. That doesn't happen often, but sometimes with the really big storms, you can see that. Um, so um, anyway, so to, to get back to your original question, though, sort of about, um, you know, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. I think, you know, deterministic, when you're seeing deterministic forecasts at lead times when you can really only be talking about the pattern or ensembles, that's when you can get into trouble. And I think hobbyists, you know, some hobbyists, you know, and I don't want to demonize hobbyists because there's some hobbyists who are as good forecasters as um, professional meteorologists and who understand the limits of forecasting as well as professional meteorologists. And professional meteorologists, I see posting deterministic snow maps too. So, um, you know, I think we have to be accountable as well, at, you know, what, as professionals, not to get ahead of ourselves uh, by putting stuff out there, which really isn't responsible so it's not it's I don't want to say it's just a problem among hobbyists but um but the point is is that whether you're talking about hobbyists or professional meteorologists we have to be cognizant of the um limits of predictability and we have to know um that when we put out deterministic products at lead times when those products don't have a lot of skill, they can be misleading to the public. They can actually do a disservice because what, ha- what ends up happening is, um, you know, if these snow maps get shared and go viral, they can get into the hands of emergency managers and they can get into the hands of um, important decision makers and they see these maps and then they start asking the weather service what's going on in the weather and then it becomes a distraction. The weather service then has to take time out and explain, you know, what this is. This is not really true. So the damage control, which is involved when these um, irresponsible products are put out there, that there, there there are some consequences to that. So I think um, we have to be aware of that.
1: So, when it comes to disseminating information in the long term, are there any words we should use, words we should avoid, stuff like that, when we're posting about the the potential for a snowstorm in that seven to ten day range?
3: Yeah, you know, I'm not. Yeah, you know, I don't pretend to be the authority. I think we're all learning by doing, and I think, you know, there there have probably been times when we've erred and how we, you know, express uncertain information, and you know, it's. This is all kind of new territory because you know models are getting better and better. Um, we have more tools available to us, but you know I think um, I I think you just have to include the qualifiers and you have to and I, I think it's really important to sustain that commitment to communicating to your audience what the limits of predictability are. But you know there is this demand; folks want to know with more and more lead time when the pattern versus, for snow or whether it's whether it's snow or whether it's a, a tropical cyclone, um, you know, when the setup might be conducive to something. So um, since there's a demand for that information, you know, people might try to try to provide that. Uh, but I think you just want to be honest and transparent with people. You want to include the necessary qualifiers and you don't want to get ahead of yourself and you don't want to put out a product which you know has little value just to get clicks. And I think you know there's an education process involved here that we all need to, um, as a community, as a meteorology community, whether we're hobbyists or whether we're professionals, we have to all together be educating our consumers as to what information is credible and what's not.
0: Hey, Jason. I'm James. Thanks for coming on tonight. One of the hey, reasons I really like reading what you guys put out is because I feel like I can get a really good scientific explanation about what's happening, but in a way that's really – Understandable, so I was wondering if you could take us inside that editorial process. How do you write for your audience? Who is your audience and and how do you reach such a broad scope in in a way that's so understandable?
3: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So what we try to do is we try to layer our content and so
0: um,
3: When we do it when we do a uh, sort of an in-depth blog post we'll start off and uh, try to sort of uh, in plain English no jargon um, in a way everyone can understand, sort of lay out what the key points are at the very beginning. You know, a lot of mistake, a, lot, a mistake I see frequently in, um, in weather writing is people do what we call bury, they bury the lead. Um, that is, you know, the lead is the most important information The who, what, where, why, and when. And um, sometimes people, they make you read a bunch of technical information before you get the bottom line. We, we start off with the bottom line, you know, what is it that people need to know in plain English of their qualifiers we have to provide because we're doing a long range forecast, we'll put those at the top, and then you know, deeper down in the story, we'll get into our more technical discussion. But even, even in our technical discussions, you know, I try to, um, I mean, and, you know, when you're discussing weather models, there are a lot of acronyms, but um, yeah, you know, I try to. Without dumbing it down, I, you know, we just try to make it accessible to folks. Um, so even if they're not like a a weather junkie, they can get a sense of what's what we're trying to communicate. You know, so maybe rather than a you know, a, you know, low heights of 500 millibars, we'll say you know there's a cold pool at high altitudes um, or something like, something like that. That's an example. Um, so you know, there there are ways of communicating sort of the, the what what the models are telling you without sort of using meteorological terms that are going to confuse people. Like a lot of people don't know what a trough is. You know, so we'll, we'll say, you know, dip in the jet stream, you know, in which cold air plunges out or something like that. You know, we just you sort of add on a little bit of plain English when you do use a term that um, the general reader may not be aware of. And, you know, I, I always tell my writers, you know, pretend, you know, they're a meteorologist, pretend, your mother or your dad, who has no scientific background, or an uncle who has no scientific background, is reading this, or someone you meet on the your on on the train on the way to work is reading this. Are they going to be able to understand it? And if the answer is no, then you know you need to try to you know add add a little bit more context and um, maybe and, and I also encourage our writers to use analogies and metaphors to help people understand complex science and scientific ideas. But you know, it's um, I'm not quite say we're perfect, you know, and um, but we're always trying to um, make our stuff more accessible because obviously we have a committed weather junkie readership and, you know, they like the technical stuff. So um, we, I, we want to provide information that they're going to enjoy and consume, but at the same time um, because we're part of the post and our stuff will get linked from, you know, WashingtonPost.com from the homepage. And, you know, people with absolutely no scientific background may click on our piece. We don't want to turn them off. We don't want them to read our stuff and think, Oh my gosh, what is this? This isn't useful. To me so we always at least at the very beginning a lot of people aren't going to read that far down anyways but you want your information at the top to have your take-home message and hopefully you right hook those people at the top and then they're right try to read deeper down and, and get into it a little bit and, and you want to make sure when they get into it a little bit they're not being overwhelmed and you're giving them clues so that they can understand what you're talking about
2: jason shea here with wind alert um question for you yeah, as a, sure. as a blog writer, I don't do a whole lot of articles to your degree, uh, but one thing that gets me sometimes is, what are you going to put for the headline? And, and that, that always yeah. is something that jumps right out. That's a huge piece, and sometimes I have to sit back and scratch my head and say, really, what do I want to put on here that's not going to sound like clickbait? It's going to get to the point, and it's going to be probably the most important piece to get people to read that blog or your article in your, in your instance. What kind yeah. of thought goes into what you do for headlining?
3: Yeah, headline might be the most important part of your whole story because um, if people um, can't get past the headline, they're not going to read. They're not going to click on your story. So you have to hook them right there. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people. You know, ninety percent of people coming to WashingtonPost.com might see your headline, but then maybe only a third will actually click on the story. So I mean, obviously, you want that percentage to be higher. You want to, you know, if you, you want you want more than half the people who see your headlines to click on it. Uh, hopefully, you know if not everybody. So, um, yeah, I mean you have to you have to strike the right balance with a headline. I mean, you, it has to be engaging. It has to be compelling. Um, otherwise, people aren't quite to click. But on the other hand, you don't want it to be clickbait. And you know, clickbait is what uh, the way I define clickbait is. It's a it's a headline in which you don't deliver on the promise. So, um, you know, an example would be um, a clickbait uh, one which I I actually sort of wrote a rant about last year. Um, was, you know, the Weather Channel wrote for like a, a really mild nor'easter hitting New England, like millions threatened, you know, and like, it, it was like a 998 low, you know, hitting New England with, you know, 20 mile per hour winds and maybe half an inch of rain. And the headline was millions threatened. And that, so that's clickbait, you know, because that's, that, that's the millions weren't being threatened. And so the story wasn't delivering on the promise. Um, so you can easily, there, there, with a headline, you want to hit the sweet spot, right? You want it to be compelling. You want it to be engaging, maybe provocative, but you don't want to over-promise and under-deliver. You don't want to over-hype something. So, um, you know, finding that sweet spot can be challenging, and sometimes you won't hit it. Sometimes your your headline will end up too boring, and people won't click on it. Sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe you get a little bit too excited about something, and it's, um, it's over the top, and then you lose credibility with your readers. They, they read the story and they're just like, you know what, this headline was too much based on um, you know, what you've just written. So yeah, you have to. it's always a struggle, but you have to work at it. Um, and we at the Washington Post, so we, we workshop headlines. So if it's an important story, we have actually a chat group within the Washington Post. I'll, um, I'll come up with three or four different headline possibilities. I'll post them in the chat group and I'll ask, folks, which one they like best, and then, you know, if, they, if the people in our chat group like it, you know, we'll go with the one they like best, but sometimes we'll, we'll, um, we'll revise, we'll iterate multiple times until we all come up with a headline we like. So, um, you know, workshopping headlines, you know, you don't have to have a, a, you know, a chat group of journalists to do it. You can just bounce it off a friend, a colleague, and uh, see what they think, and they may have a better idea so you can sharpen it and uh, make it a little
2: bit more compelling. As long as you don't say you won't believe this. You've never yes. seen this ever. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think Ricky had a question
4: for you.
1: Yep, yeah, Jason, sure. you guys write for both the Capital Weather Gang, but you know, as an entity of the Washington Post, you're also writing for them. So you have a couple of different Facebook pages these articles are being posted on. Do you guys write any differently the Facebook post, uh, the text that you know goes with the links and stuff for the Capital Weather Gang post versus the post on the Washington Post page?
3: Yeah. So I mean all of just to be clear, um, the Capital Weather Gang Facebook account is part of the Washington Post. I mean, we have our own we have our own Facebook group that's part of the Washington Post. But yes, yeah, sometimes um, our stories, which we post to get which we post on our Capital Weather Gang page, will be shared by the Washington Post main account, which has like you know over a million um, likes or something like that. So, um, but that's a decision we don't make. So you know, I, if we have a big story, I'll pitch it to um, I'll pitch it to our social media team to put on the Washington Post Facebook page or to put on Washington Post Twitter, it, which has a huge following, obviously. And so and then they, they make the decisions as to um, how to, how to um, <laughs> try to get people to click on our stories. Um, but they're pretty good. I mean, you know, they're professionals. They, they understand that um, you know, the, the, the perils of clickbait, so they're not going to oversell your story. They're going to probably convey it the same way you, um, that we do. Um, Because they they realize that they don't want to get in trouble (laughs) they don't want to get in trouble with us because you know like if they don't accurately convey what's in our story then you know we're going to go to them and say you know what's going on and then they're going to have to fix it and they'd rather not have to do that but they you know they're hardworking journalists and uh, social media um, producers and so they 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 have a good sense as to um, in in, you know nine out of ten or ninety five percent of the time how to um, how to share our stuff. Okay, awesome.
1: Um, let's go dive a little bit into some of the indices that you guys use, because that's a big thing sure. that's kind of taken off in the world of social media. You know, everyone kind of wants to know what's the snow meter, what's the snow index, stuff like that. And you guys have uh, dabbled in that for a while now on Twitter. You have a correct me if I'm wrong. On any of this, a snow index that you post in the kind of the days leading up to it, saying you know here's the potential for some snow, uh, whether it's rising or lowering. And then yeah. you guys also have yeah. closing index indexes for the federal government and schools i believe yep yeah all all of the above yeah
3: so um yeah i think um we we are just um we've always sort of been on the mindset that we want to provide um tools and products that people find useful which can sort of give them a sense um as to how disruptive the weather is going to be and how the weather is going to affect their lives and so yeah we have several products um Sort of number-based products that we um, we put out. Um, we have a daily digit, which is um, just a subjective rating of the day's weather of scale from uh, one to ten. Put that out every day, and you know every forecaster on our team, um, you know, produces that with his or for, his or her forecast, and it's embedded within their forecast. But we also push it out on Facebook and Twitter. And it's just a fun way to um, sort of give people a sense as to whether we think it's going to be a nice day or not. You know, obviously you know, 33 in rain might be a one, you know, but if it's, um, you know, on a nice May day, which is 75 with sunshine, you know, that might be a 10. So, you know, um, that, that's, um, and, and that, that also um, encourages engagement. So, um, you know, we're, we're all about that. Um, so, yeah, so we got the daily digit, and then we've got the snow potential index, which um, whenever we see at least a 10% probability of at least an inch of snow, um, within a week in the D.C. area um, at any of our three airports, uh, BWI, Dallas, or National, we think there's a 10% chance of an inch. That's sort of the threshold. We we launch the Snow Potential Index, and then, um, you know, as that index rises and falls, we, we indicate the tendency with an up arrow or a down arrow or sideways arrow if it's the same from one day to the next. Um, and obviously, you know, I think we're going to go for, we're looking at a little disturbance coming through the D.C. area tomorrow night dusting to an inch maybe two inches in the region so we're probably going to go we had we it a three this morning our our snow potential index i think tomorrow morning we're right up that to about a five or a six um the day of the event and you know it's kind of a i think it's about a 50 50 chance as to whether we'll get an inch in dc but um so that gives you a, a, a sort of a, a case example of how we use that that uh, particular index and then let's see what else we have yes a school cast yeah, Schoolcast is just a uh, probabilistic uh, forecast as to um, what we think the chance of school is um, in all the counties within a two-county radius of D.C. Um, when there's a winter weather event and a very popular product. Um, teachers, kids, parents love it. It gets us a lot of clicks and you know it's not just about clicks it's about trying to help people understand you know um, you know what's going to happen with the schools and we you know I've been forecasting the D.C. area for about 20 years now, so I have a pretty good sense as to um, what schools are going to do in given situation. Obviously, there's uncertainty there. That's why we give probabilities. So, um, yeah, popular product, and we may have to do that. Uh, may have to issue a school cast tomorrow night, uh, depending on, you know, how, on, on where the forecast goes for um, uh, Thursday night in the D.C. area. And then um, we do the FedCast, which is the likelihood the federal government will remain open or closed um, or issue sort of a um, a um, unscheduled leave policy, so um, we we do that as well. And then, lastly, we just launched a new one today, a new product, um, big one, big rollout. Um, it's our uh, Capital Weather Gang Winter Storm Impact Scale. And um, now this is this one's an interesting one. It, I I kind of was thinking about this um, a couple of years ago. I was thinking, you know, like you know. Snowstorms in DC are—they're they're a lot more than just about the amount of snow. It's about the duration of the snow. It's about how cold the temperatures are before the snow begins. How cold the temperatures are while the snow is falling, and then how cold it is after the storm. It's about wind. It's about—it's and it's about a whole bunch of other things. Like it's about okay—is this snow happening during the week or during the weekend? Is it happening? Um, during December and January when the sun angle is low or is it happening in March when the sun angle is high? Um, So there are a lot of different variables in D.C. which um, play into how significant a winter storm is going to be. So I thought, you know, it would be cool if we could come up with an index or um, to to sort of um, better communicate what the impact of a storm is going to be. Because sometimes, you know, you might have a 6 to 10-inch snowstorm which hits during the night over the weekend doesn't have much of an impact but you can have an inch during a weekday uh, late afternoon evening period during rush hour you have cars stranded uh, for hours and gridlock in dc so um the idea behind this index was to try to give people a better sense as to the severity of winter storms in the dc area based on impact rather than just no amount Um, so we launched that today Um, you know they're about gosh, probably about 15, 20 variables that go into this, but it's just a one to five scale. You know, one being a nuisance storm, five being a uh, tripling to uh, historic uh, winter storm. And um, so far the reaction's been great. We'll see if um, the the storm coming through tomorrow night, um, you know, gets categorized. Um, When I I ran the index today, it's actually a spreadsheet. And yeah, I've developed like a little spreadsheet model for this. Um, it didn't quite make category one tomorrow night's event, but you know, with some of the newer data coming in tonight, you know, it's possible that, that by tomorrow morning, it ekes out a category one rating. So we'll
1: have to see how that goes. From a, a social media standpoint, a social science standpoint, know, uh, that's, it's interesting stuff you guys are doing. Uh, you're going to have to do an NWA presentation or something on that coming up in a few years once you get a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we'll have to see that.
3: That. Yeah, we we'll need some, we we'll need some cases under our belt and see how it plays out. You know, I did. To develop it. I ran a bunch of test cases. I probably looked at about twenty historic cases and sort of ran it through the spreadsheet to see if I thought it came, if it would produce a, a valid, legitimate number given how the storm impacted the area. And, and you know, I think it worked pretty well in the historic cases, and we'll have to see how it works on uh, you know, on cases moving forward. And you know, it, it'll be interesting too because you know, historically, you know, after snow events. We have done uh, sort of post mortem discussions as to, you know, how well we predicted the, you know, the, the snow amounts in the region. Um, but now we're gonna have something else to sort of evaluate after, after each storm, which is, you know, did our storm was our storm impact scale on spot for the region or was it was it off and if it was off, why? You know, and so um that's another so it's something else we'll have the opportunity to verify and try to validate and improve on over time. Let's, let's just
1: switch gears real quick, and then I think uh, Shay has a question. We'll bring him in here. And I want to talk a little bit about how it always seems like winter weather is a much bigger, for lack of a better term, story than severe weather is. Why do you think that is? And do you guys see that in your engagement as well?
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I think winter weather just affects a lot more people in the D.C. area than severe Well, typically. I mean, severe is a mesoscale or microscale event, and so um, you know the, the the population affected by a thunderstorm is going to be much smaller than a um, a snowstorm, which sort of covers the whole area. So I think it it, it basically just comes down to population affected, and also um, you know severe thunderstorm. You know, will, the duration is also much shorter. Snowstorms last hours, days, um, and snow stays with us. You know, unless you're talking about derecho, which takes down. You know, tens of thousands of trees in the region. And, you know, you can get extremely high impact thunderstorm outbreaks, but those are rather than, you know, a several time a year event, it's like a once a decade type event, or even longer in the DC area where we'll, where we'll get a widespread damaging thunderstorm outbreak. Thunderstorm outbreaks in the DC area are typically pretty localized. Um, you know, they're severe and they obviously cause a lot of hardship when they, for the communities they affect, you know, microbursts. We get this pretty freq- frequently in the summer in the DC area, and, you know, you can get. 70, 100 mile per hour winds over over a very small location, but you can still see a lot of, um, you know, a lot of damage from those here. So, yeah, I mean, um, thunderstorms are still a draw. I mean, obviously we see traffic spikes for thunderstorms, you know, especially if there's a tornado watch, you know, we're going to have a lot of readers. Um, but, um, you know, snow is just kind of like, you know, and because right, it's also because the D.C. are so vulnerable, you know, we... we, we um, uh, we, we have a lot of southern transplant plants in the D.C. area, a lot of people who aren't experienced driving in snow. Um, snow happens, you know, a few times a year, but it's irregular enough that each time it does happen in the D.C. area, it seems like it's always an adventure. You know, maybe, maybe after we have a really big winter, you know, we have several um, high-impact snowstorms. Maybe by the final snowstorm of the season, we're finally figuring out how to deal with it. But in most winters, they're, they're spread out. Um, people forget, you know, if there's a snowstorm in December and then we don't have one until February, people, you know, it's like they've never seen snow before by the time February rolls around. So it just doesn't happen enough that we're, that we're used to it and that we're acclimated to it. And it's, again, and I think you see this in the Mid-Atlantic, you just have a lot of people, you know, who um, who, who maybe grew up in, in, in different areas um, and they're just not used to it. And so um, they, they kind of panic anytime it's in the forecast.
2: Jason, that's kind of segues into something I wanted to ask you about. And I see that you worked for the EPA for 10 years as a climate analyst. Yep. Um, so, you know, speaking of urban uh, urban issues with development and climate, uh, microclimates spreading out to yep. scale and, and national and then global climate, um, you guys do quite a bit of work on climate change. And that's that was a hot potato, yep. I feel, until the last couple of years when some of the real data started to start proving these points. How much time do you guys like to spend on that? Do you like to... To encourage your staff to spend a lot of time on climate change or is that something you like to do personally yeah i mean it's i think angela and
3: i both we we both do the lion's share of the climate change writing for um for the blog and um you know climate change is you know a topic we write about when the weather's slower when we don't have you know snowstorm approaching the dc area um it's obviously a topic i have some expertise on um because i did work on it professionally for a decade so, uh, you know, I feel qualified to write about it and it's something I, I keep my hands on the pulse on and I track and I, you know, obviously I know a lot of climate scientists who I speak to. And so I try to stay current on the latest literature. And I think, um, and I think increasingly, you know, we are seeing, um, climate change manifest itself in, in, in our day-to-day weather. And so I think it's important to sort of provide that context, you know, especially as we look at, um, you know, increasing warm weather extremes, decreasing cold extremes. Um, you know, we see our ratios of record highs to record lows increasingly dis- disproportionate and things like that. So I think it's important to provide that context. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, in terms of how frequently we write about it, you know, I would say we probably average one or two pieces a week um, related to climate change. Um, but, you know, it's it just depends on what else is going on in the mix. So, Um, available weather and climate stories that were, um, that are in the news at a given time. And, you know, obviously the post has other people writing about climate change, Chris Mooney and Brady Dennis, who's our environmental beat writer. So, you know, we're not the only, we're not the only folks who do it, but we, our niche in terms of climate change is sort of how, um, how climate change may or may not be impacting um, weather, weather and extreme weather. And so we do try to look at that. And we also report a lot on climate trends, like you know, how, you know, how warm, you know, you know, how, how did, how did, you know, December rank in terms of, you know, global temperature? Um, how did December rank in terms of the U S average temperature? Um, how are temperatures trending? How are uh, precipitation trends uh, changing and things like that? So that's, that's how we look at it. All right.
1: Scotty, you had a question you want to bring in?
4: Yeah. Um, is my mic working now? <laughs> okay. Uh, Jason, uh, Glad to finally uh, meet you. I know we've been communicating via email. Uh, one one thing that you wrote its kind of near and dear to our heart here in the Carolinas is the lack of radar coverage um, here in the Charlotte area. Um, I know doing the article you've kind of investigated on, on, on the stuff like that. Talk to us a little bit about what you put into that article and what you found out, maybe the progress that uh, – Is currently taking place in legislation that may be providing a radar here in the the Carolinas. Maybe sometime down the next fifty years. Yeah, so I have to credit Brad Panovich.
3: Um, You know, he kind of he kind of put the issue on my radar, so to speak. Um, And um, he, I know he was involved along with some other broadcast meteorologists in trying to um, convince local politicians to. to take this issue up, and I know there was some legislation introduced. To be honest, I have I, I need to I need to touch base with them and find out where things are because I haven't I have I you know I think the last time I wrote about the article, um, there were some things being proposed, but I don't know if they ever sort of how how far they got. Um, so you you guys may know more about the status of it than I do because I haven't I, you know, I, I as I said I need to kind of follow up with Brad and others and kind of find out where that is. So. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's an important issue. Obviously, you know, radar gaps, um, you know, are a uh, issue of societal importance, um, especially for you guys um, in North Carolina. But there are other parts of the country where there are some radar gaps, which ideally will be filled. And I, you know, I know there's, um, you know, we, we we did write about, and I, I wrote about it, and Angela wrote about it, sort of a, sort of a uh, cross-cutting weather bill, um, which almost made it through Congress just before... Um, they adjourned in late December, and it was this. It passed the. Um, I think it, it passed the House and then got held up in the Senate because there was a um, disagreement about a provision uh, that had implications for for water resources in Florida and Georgia, and the senators down there were fighting over it. But, um, but yeah, So there was this comprehensive weather, weather legislation which was going to um, improve. Um, provide provide resources, provide funding to improve seasonal forecasting, short-term forecasting, including hurricanes, severe weather, and included funding for improving forecast communication research. So it was sweeping legislation, which would um, have really kind of um, uh, provided a lot of funding and resources across the weather enterprise um, to sort of move the ball forward, but it got held up. Now, from what I understand, it's gonna be reintroduced in this next session and um i think folks are optimistic that it'll eventually get passed um what i don't know is whether the um the radar gap issue in north carolina um was was put into that bill um so if if that's part of the bill then um i'd be optimistic about the issue being addressed but i'm not sure whether that specific piece made it into the sweeping legislation do you guys know
4: I think it's still sitting on the desk. I, I don't think, think it's still done. sitting on the.
3: Desk. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad you bring it up because I think it, um, it, it would be good for me to follow up on, and um, because we want to keep keep hammering at it. That's the only way you, can, you make progress. Sometimes is you can I mean, kind of you put it out there, and um, it's ignored. You got to keep uh, you got to keep uh, beating that drum, and hopefully, eventually. Um, you know, someone someone notices who has some influence and, and champions it.
4: Yeah, and just last last month, um, I, I think it was early December, maybe the seventh or something like that. Uh, we had an EF one tornado that went through um, the southwest part of Charlotte. So you know, radar there would have been. Uh, a little bit more ideal to, to help warn those folks who were uh, in the path of that. So thankfully no no injuries, uh, just a little bit of, of damage, but uh, definitely look forward to that opportunity of maybe getting some type of uh, radar coverage here in the uh, the Piedmont of North Carolina. It really would help out. <laughs> you bet, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, well, I know we're about 8.50 we're going to try to wrap up at 9. Uh, we have any follow-up questions for uh, Jason before we kind of uh, sign off for the night?
1: Oh, I think I'm good. We'll uh, have to get Jason to go down to Capitol Hill and start uh, picketing and putting some signs up and stuff for weather, uh, weather improvements, right?
3: Yeah. You know, we, we'll see what we can do. You know, I think one of the one of the cool things about um, our blog is I get to report about the weather and I get to opine about the weather. I just have to be clear about what I'm you know, expressing my opinion and what I'm reporting because you know, you're sort of ethically as a journalist, um, that's, you don't want to blur those lines, so um, we have we have sometimes been very proactive and um, provocative in the opinions we express, but at other times, you know, we just have to be objective journalists and um, report what's happening and express both sides of an issue fairly. And we we stress trying to be fair to all all parties. Um, but um, the fun part, the fun part of running a blog, which can kind of be combination of reporting and um and uh doing opinion is that we we can um you know express different points of view both our own and then by others and and and, and as far as that goes if you ever have um a reaction to something you see on the capital weather gang that or you think there's an alternative perspective we need to hear you know i invite you guys to uh reach out to me and if you can craft a well-written, a well-written and coherent argument, um, we will consider it for publication. So we do, we do invite guest perspectives. And um, so I'm easy to find, um, you know, uh, if you Google me. But my email is just washpost.com. and you can tweet something to my attention or post something on Facebook. <clears throat> I'll probably see it there as well. And I encourage you all just to continue following our work. Um, and I and I appreciate um, you know the invitation to be on the show today.
4: Yeah, we're excited to have you. Maybe uh, maybe we can get you back on some point um, later on this year and kind of talk about some of the new things that uh, may be coming out. But uh, Jason, give us the uh, Twitter account there for the Capital Weather. Game. Yeah, sure. So and, it's at, yeah, so at, it's at Capital Weather, um, and we are also on Facebook,
3: Facebook.com/slash Capital Weather, and um, yeah, no, it's 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 great fun. I'm glad I have. Um, Able to join you guys. I hope I can do so again. You all have a great community, well-respected community. You've had great guests, and uh, really uh, admire what you guys are doing down there. And you guys are having an exciting next 72 hours. I was looking at the, the 18Z uh, GFS and the European. I know you guys are
4: having a special show, I believe, next to talk about that. Right?
1: He says exciting. We say <laughs> stressful. Stressful. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, I think we've all ate, we've all aged about five or ten years. <laughs> well, you know where I,
3: I think I think where the forecast is the toughest is a little bit north of you guys in like southeast Virginia. Where's that snow going to cut off? Is Richmond going to get it? Is uh, are they what cut off at the Hampton Roads? I'd hate to be a forecaster in Richmond for this one,
2: it, or it's maybe around
3: Williamsburg.
1: My my, uh, my hometown area is Hampton Roads, where I grew up was in Hampton, and so you know we, we run into this almost every single snowstorm of scenes. We either Get a lucky, or we end up being right in that line. And I've been watching some of my friends at the TV stations there, just seeing what they're putting out. And I've seen anything between about one to three inches, to four inches, to uh, about ten inches in spots. So it's uh, yep. fun time but I can see why they're putting you know all the different numbers out in each of the different. Uh, yeah, no,
3: it's so. it's really it's a really tough one. I think I think as far as we're concerned here in DC, I think we're probably um, going to miss it. I mean, maybe our southern suburbs get fringed, but. You know, it's. Um, I thought maybe yesterday that it was going to be. We'd have a little bit of drama up here, and maybe we'd be on the edge. But the way things are trending, maybe not. But you still got to watch it. I mean, you know, sometimes you see that late uh, north north northward shift. So we got to. We, we can't totally drop the ball on this one yet.
2: Uh, you got bay bay effect as well up that area. So there are a lot of little moving parts all up and down for different the different areas of the Southeast region all the way to the Mid-Atlantic. But uh, Jason, it's been a pleasure having you on. We really appreciate your work. A lot of fans here. What you do. Thank you, guys. Game. Appreciate it. Yeah, Jason, thanks
4: so much. And we're, All right, good luck. We were right, good luck, uh, you guys. Thank you. We we're happy to start off uh, 2017 with you having you on. So uh, maybe like we talked about, we can get you back on sometime later on this year. Okay, sounds great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jason. All right, guys, and um, we're going to go ahead, if you're watching, we're going to go ahead and wrap this show up. Uh, we're going to be starting our new link here in about a couple of minutes. Uh, Join us for uh, the snow discussion. I know a lot of people have been asking about that, so uh, we'll get that started tonight. We have uh, Brad Panovich, Dave Williams from Charleston, Jason Boyer from Al- Asheville, Gary Stevenson from Raleigh, and Jim Gandy from Columbia That's going to be joining us. Uh, We also have Ricky, who's going to be talking about East Tennessee. We have David, who's up in the Charlottesville area. Um, Maybe Tim Buckley in the Greensboro area as well. So it's going to be an action-packed show, and it's going to be quickly flowing because uh, some of our guests have 10 o'clock newscasts to get to. So uh, make sure that uh, you stay uh, watching us. Also, uh, if you have any questions, feel free to tweet them. We'll be monitoring Twitter as well. So thanks for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week.